0: the Astro Economic Review, my name is John Eckstein, I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Astro Investment Management. I'm joined today by John Dabby, the Founder, CEO, CIO of Astoria Portfolio Advisors. John, hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. John is a new contact with, the, with some super insights on the economy. So today we'll talk a little bit about where we see the economy in brief. I'll go through today's inflation numbers. We're recording this on Wednesday, July 12th, and talk a little bit then about what we see the outlook for the economy and the Fed. So just in brief, you know, in a nutshell, I see the economy as still growing, growing perhaps. A little bit more slowly if you measure it by the labor market than it was a few months ago. But, you know, the recession that everyone, uh, many people predicted for 2023 has not occurred. And we're going to have to see some deterioration in the labor market before I'm going to be ready to say that we are in a recession. How does that sound to you, John? How does that match with your view of the economy?
1: The economy is definitely, you know, not as bad as what people had thought about. But I would say for every kind of one, good economic data point is you know, another bad one. So, I think it's a tricky part of the cycle. We're a long way away from Fed rate cuts. I think there's still like a murkier picture if you look at corporate earnings. But certainly, we went into this year not nearly as bearish as like the average you know, strategist. And you know, when you look at our year ahead outlook, we said that we didn't think we'd get this draconian outcome for equities and, and an economic recession. So, You know, I think like we're more constructive, but I also don't like what I see under the hood where I think the market internals are telling us a very different picture when you've got just a few select stocks driving in mixed return. Essentially, investors are kind of talking like as if those are only seven stocks that have growth. And I I think it's a pretty bearish sentiment, if, if you ask me.
0: But yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into more deeper dialogue with you on this. Yeah. So when you think about like where the economy is sort of overall, I guess, I mean, I see the biggest area of weakness would be the housing market. Would you agree with that? At Astoria Advisors, and by the way, we definitely share like a
1: kind of similar name, so that's pretty cool. (laughs) Um, For me, credit growth lower, liquidity declining, consumer strong but on its way to deteriorating, falling PMIs, inverted yield curve, you know, manufacturing data not so good. There's the counterpoint, right? It's like there's still a, lo- a lot of liquidity that was put into the system, but I think on the margin, it's going to decline. So I expect a much different fall than what we've seen in the first two or three months. But I am encouraged that there is broader market participation and you've got other sectors and asset classes that are benefiting since June. So that I find encouraging. I mean, sentiment definitely has improved quite a bit compared to like the macro picture, which is murky and unbalanced across all these different spectrums. Yeah. So I'll just put it there.
0: So what do you see for the fall? Are you worried about, you know, a, a little bit of a slowdown or what are you worried about there? Yeah. I mean, corporate earnings, you know, we're going to get into
1: earnings season now, so we'll see. I mean, earnings revision breadth was very negative last earnings season and it materially improved uh, as you got to the end of the earnings season. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, margins probably are going to get squeezed. I think overall, my big picture view is that like U.S. index valuations, market cap weighted is expensive, you know, 19 and a half times forward earnings. So that doesn't make me feel good. The irony of all this, John, is that like once you strip out U.S. index, like you've got a whole country and a whole world of opportunity. And that's what kind of we've been saying for a few years now is like, OK, index is expensive. But I've been proven wrong and I'm not afraid to admit I'm wrong because the index was expensive then cheap in, you know, last year when you had that big reverse on tech because they're long duration assets and interest rates went up materially. And then sure enough, this year, it's like another bite at the apple. They all went up again and got just as expensive as they were before. I just find that where as a global, diversified factor investor, like you do have a lot of opportunities, whether it's in the more mid cap, mid cap space, or whether it's international high quality, international growth, emerging markets. So that's what we try and do lean on, is like not get too myopic about, let's say just U.S. earnings and is earnings going to be good and margins? Because I think to build a globally diversified portfolio with alternatives, bonds, credit, rates, you've got to have other views and you've got to nail those views if you want to try and generate an attractive risk adjusted return.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think we see eye to eye about the importance and potential growing importance of alternatives in a portfolio. So on inflation for a moment, we did see the inflation numbers came in a little bit below expectations. They're still high. So if you look at the, say the month-on-month number, both the headline and the core both came in at two-tenths of 1% month-on-month annualizes to about And a half percent, the year on year is down to three percent headline about four point eight percent core, those are all both had better than expected, better in the sense of lower inflation. You've talked to Rob, I think, about your inflation views, and you see inflation moderating, or do you think that the liquidity hangover is, is still there? Am I characterizing your views, right? We had argued that inflation would be structurally higher and for longer.
1: So in June of 2020, uh, if you remember, we were in the depths of COVID. You know, I started seeing like all this money supply increase, and you know, checks were given out direct to the individuals. That's very different from 08. Having worked at an investment bank that was acquired in the eleventh hour, the TARP program back in 08, everything was like lending facilities directly to the bank, but they didn't wind up in the consumers. Yeah, so I thought back in. June of 2020, that we'd have like an inflation problem only because in my economics 101 class, I'm not sure if in others, they taught me that like when you increase demand and restrict supply, their prices go up. So it was pretty obvious to me that we'd have uh, higher prices. So in June of 2020, we started telling our advisors, look, let's put a 10% allocation towards an inflation sensitive strategy. And, you know, we cobbled together 10 ETFs, if we had $100 in account, we'd keep $90 in whatever risk-tolerant portfolio we built. But we said, look, let's put this $10 and use this as our inflation budget. We then took that money and those funds, and we converted that into an ETF, ticker PPI, an inflation-linked ETF, which was listed on the NYC in December of 2021. So way before this ramp in inflation in 2022. Now here we are at 550 bips of the Fed rate high increases, we still have elevated inflation. I mean, yes, the Fed has conquered most of the inflation problem, but we're still not near 2%. And I think the Fed really would have to get to like seven, 700 basis points, 750 basis points for this thing to go to 2%. But it's a fragile state of the economy. People have been through a lot the last few years. We've got an election year next year. I don't know if they would just deliberately throw the economy into a recession. I think like they've conquered what they wanted to do for the most part. I think things like really complex topics and I wrote a blog recently about deglobalization and what that'll do to like prices. These are big pine sky topics, but I do think they're important. And I think onshore and reshore and like, you know, if you're a Fortune five hundred company, you've got your supply chains in in Asia because it's cheap labor, but you know, yet your whole business was under attack during 2020, like you really got to rethink your manufacturing strategy. So for all those reasons, and by the way, John, let's say, okay, John, Davi, you're absolutely bonkers. You're crazy. My point is like these inflation linked assets, global stocks, like they're trading at like a seven, eight, nine P ratio. I've seen periods of my career where these multiples are like 2025. 20, I started in 1999. It was about tech stocks. I, I feel like I'm reliving 1999 again. I was an intern. Internet stocks were going up hundreds and hundreds of percent. The Nasdaq Index went up something like 100% that year. The Nasdaq Index. We can like double check that stat, but it went up like an astronomical amount. And you know, in 98, you had the long-term financial crisis. You had Russian ruble. And then it all came crashing down in 2000. And then if you remember it from O. 3 to like oh, 08, all people want to do is invest in energy stocks and banks and emerging markets, right? Tech stocks were left for dead. It was the aftermath of their tech bubble. I feel like we're living through that again this year when you see these, the Nasdaq index up, you know, 38%. My point is like, you know, I just think as like an inflation is something that happens every year, whether it's 2% or 4% CPI. Like if you accumulate that and you own over time, if you just hold on to cash, like that'll be a pretty large reduction in your purchasing power. So yeah. my view
0: is that like these assets are pretty cheap and they carry well in the portfolio. That's multi-asset. So with the money supply year-on-year change of money supply being negative, does that make you think that inflation's going to go down or is that how does that factor into your thinking at all?
1: So you know, money supply has, you know, but it did increase in the most recent data point. So that's encouraging. But yeah, it shows me that the Fed is way too tight. They're just way too tight with their draconian rate increases, you know, fastest in half a century. But you know, inflation was a big problem. I just don't know if they can get to like two percent because I think there's these complex issues that may prevent this. So you say like, that, um, you know, that yeah.
0: So if I understand you correctly, you're saying there's sort of structural changes in the way of the Fed making it all the way down to 2%, which is their target because of, say, the re-onshoring and their friend-shoring, some people are calling it, stuff like that. Is that correct? It? Yeah. Correct. And I argue, John, that because of this structurally higher
1: inflation, I do think interest rates are going to stay higher for longer. Again, these are all views that we've had as a firm for a couple of years now. It's become more mainstream now. But I do think that you know, your portfolio needs to evolve and shift. Which is part of the reason why I think I'm concerned because, you know, with this big reduction we had in tech stocks last year and people going back to the same stocks, it's like another bite at the apple. And I do think that you need to own things like material and energy and industrial stocks, you know, things that'll kind of be a play on more real assets and, you know, manufacturing goods here in the US. So portfolios have not evolved because of this complex issue like higher inflation globalization. So I do think portfolios need to evolve.
0: Because people are just chasing the NVIDIA or whatever. Yeah, it
1: feels safe, right? Oh, like, you know, you're never going to get rid of your iPhone or that. But yeah. you know, as you know, like the funny, is like there's a chart that um we have in our marketing material. If you go to storyadvisors.com, the revenue growth year over year for the Fang stocks has actually fallen quite a bit, even though their market cap has risen substantially over the years. It becomes a lot harder to compound and have significant growth if you're a big behemoth. And I think that's the problem that like investors don't realize. Just because Apple stock has gone up 50% this year, it doesn't mean their earnings have grown 50%. So you got this disconnect between earnings and price. Right.
0: Let's talk about the Fed for a second. So, Fed's got another meeting uh in a couple of weeks. They stayed pat last meeting, but the chatter since the last meeting, the Fed staff talking has been a little bit hawkish in my view. So I think we probably got another hike coming. So first of all, do you have a view on like the Fed, is there a hike anymore the rest of the year or do you think they're pretty much done?
1: Well, I think they don't even know because they're data dependent. That's what they tell us, like they react to data and my hope is that they acknowledge that with the fastest rate increase in half a century and the massive decline in m2 money supply you know massive decline of cpi like they they've done enough so i think they should consider taking stock of where they are now looks like june was was a skip july is a hike but i don't think they need to go too much further because i think the damage has been done
0: yeah, so I think so one sort of plausible scenario for the next 12 months would be the Fed stops hiking, but real rates continue to rise as inflation slows because of, you know, there's sort of like there's a bunch of maybe there's slowing inflation sort of baked in the cake already with the hikes that have happened. And so so real rates could continue to rise even if the Fed stops hiking over the next 12 months, which you might think would be another little weight on the economy. I think that's a plausible scenario. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think we will leave it there. If people want more of your views in the economy, they can go to the Astoria website, right? John, where's that? Uh, Astoriaadvisors.com or at Astoria Advisors on Twitter. Okay. And if you want more information about Aster, you can check out the Aster website at AstorIM. That's imforinvestmentmanagement.com. And thanks very much for your time, John. Thank you.
1: To learn more about Aster Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.asterim.com or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you. Aster Investment Management, LLC, is a SEC-registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change. They are not intended as investment recommendations.
0: The creator of this podcast, Astor Investment Management, is not affiliated with Astoria Portfolio Advisors, LLC. Opinions expressed by representatives of Astoria Portfolio Advisors are their own and do not represent the views of Astor Investment Management, LLC. Such views are presented for informational purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation of Astor Portfolio Management, LLC. Information about both firms is available at the SEC website.